Start us off with a prayer here before John gets us going with the lesson. Before I do that, any are there any prayer requests out there? I'd love to, you know, if you would, don't mind raising your hand, sharing to pray for them real quick before John gets up and preaches. So, do you have any prayer requests? Yes, Jacob. Definitely. What's? Do you know her name by chance? 
Aiden? Hayden. ACL tear, for sure. But yes, thank you. Thanks for letting me know. Anything else? All right, great. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for this time to be here and to worship you. God, I know a lot has gone on today. It started off early. It's going late. But God, it's so encouraging to be here and to worship you, to worship uh, with the, the brothers and sisters who are here, God, to come together and to praise you. Uh, it, it definitely it is inspiring to see everyone here. God, I pray that you will speak powerfully through John tonight. God, I know as we dive into our theme, God, please just work through him and, and really put the words in his mouth that we need to hear, God, for our hearts to be impacted and inspired to know more about you. Uh, for our lives to continue to transform and become more like you, God, I pray that you can work uh, through him uh, to change us. God, I pray uh, in particular for just our Super Bowl parties coming up. God, I pray that we can, uh, that you can really use those moments as a way to reach out to our friends, God, our coworkers, to the people that are crying out for you right now. God, who want to know you, who want to have real relationships, to want to have real marriages. God, I pray that you will uh, just lead those people to us, God, and that we can have the boldness and the courage to open up our mouths and invite them in. God, we pray uh, for Hayden, God, Jacob's co-worker's daughter. God, that you'll be with her as she's getting discharged tomorrow. God, be with Chelsea in her recovery. God, I know it's a uh, challenging injury. God, I pray just for her rehab that you can be with that and help her to heal quickly. God, be with Vivian's foot. I know she's been such a trooper, God, which has been so encouraging, but I pray that it can heal quickly. Uh, and God, we know that we give all these things up to you because you are God and you've worked powerfully. Lord, we love you and your sins and we pray. Amen. I appreciate uh, our worship team starting us uh, off so well, focusing on God. And I know time and effort and practice go into that. And so, you know, and thank you, Mo, for your leadership in that. So I really, I really appreciate that. And uh, thanks to Cam and Olu preparing us for our Super Bowl party. It's a great time of fellowship. Uh, and for Cam uh, leading us in prayer. You know that nutritionists tell us that a weight loss bar with 30 grams of sweetener causes the same amount of harm as a candy bar with 30 grams of sugar. And that the amount of Heart Smart cereal that we eat at one sitting typically has more hidden sugar in it than two Pop-Tarts or breakfast pastries. So from a belly fat perspective, whether you call it agave, barley malt, corn syrup, carob, brown sugar, or cane sugar, sugar is sugar, which made it hard for me to finish my bowl of chocolate Cheerios last night. But staying healthy means staying informed, being mindful, denying self. It's difficult. Staying healthy spiritually also takes effort. You know, the theme for the vision for the North River Church of Christ is love God, love people, change the world. 
And Jeff last week explained our vision in town, which was as disciples of Jesus, our vision is to reflect God's glory in our lives and relationships by being a light and sharing the good news in our homes, in our communities, and in the city of Atlanta. I think we have that on the next slide. Yeah, there you go. And he reminded us that there are scriptures that go along with each part of that vision statement. We can go back to it for a minute. The other way. Um, but 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about what happens when we start reflecting, contemplating, or reflecting God's glory. We start to become transformed. Hence, our theme for the in-town ministry for the first quarter, which we're going to take from Romans chapter 12, next slide, um, is don't conform, be transformed. You see that word transform? You can go back one slide, please. Metamorphomai. That's a word that only appears in a couple of places in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3.18, Romans 12, and on the mountain of transfiguration, it means to be changed in to be transformed. So we get the word metamorphosis from that word. And so it's talking about um, a total change in our thinking and in our You take the biblical this is the Red Sea guy, the Ten Commandments person. And he started off as an Israelite brought up in an Egyptian royal household. God asked him to use his specific gifts. He was an Israelite that had gotten an education, an Egyptian royal education. And God wanted him to use those gifts to help the Israelite people. And Moses said, what a great idea, but no. Please send someone else. See, God didn't give up on him. And he became a powerful but humble priest. Now, each one of us has been given some unique gifts. Many of us have had an incredibly great You see, God expects us to use them. Next slide, please, Daniela. Thank you. Um, go back one, please. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, Therefore, is a big word. There's a lot of implications with the word therefore. There's a connection with what came before. Romans 12, quote from Romans 12, are built on Romans chapter 1 through 11. God is saying there's a I am now transitioning and continuing to show you some ways that you should live, but it's based on what we talked about before. 
altogether, the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, is an explanation that God has the best way of looking at reality. It's an argument that God, the conclusion that God exists, that God is real, is the best way to explain And you kind of have to relate it to parenting a child. You know, the child's job when they get talking is to ask the parent, why? That's their responsibility. The parent's responsibility is to say, because I said so. But if you always say, because I said so, and you never provide an explanation as to why, then the child doesn't understand what's going on, why they should obey. And an obedience based on authority, because I said so, eventually will lead to a rebellious parent. And you can read all the parenting books. They say the same thing. So, what you want to start doing with your child, and at a reasonable time, and not when they're about to get hit by a car. You know, when they're about to get hit by a car, it's like, yes, okay, just because I said so. Come on. Okay. But you want to start giving an explanation to your child about why. And so this is something we had started incorporating with our son at an early age. And one of the, the best things that I ever did was I would go into very long explanations about why he could, you know, to the point where eventually, you know, he gave up and just did it. <laughs> and so, actually, that's a technique that can work if you're, if you're stuck, you know. Like, <laughs> but a- anyway, let's review Romans perfect as we go. Romans chapters 1 through 10. Because of our sin, no one can ever earn a right standing before God. Our niceness, I'm a nice person, does not make you a Christian. It does not take away sin. In fact, the biblical definition of good is not just treating people nicely and helping the poor and, you know, going out and doing service projects or taking trips and saying nice There's a whole idea that we need salvation because of what we have done wrong. Well, actually, everyone is in this situation. Everyone, no one is perfect. No one can prove good that because of unmerited favor, we deserve it. Romans chapter 4 through 5. basis of faith, not because of how many good works you do. You know, no, Romans chapter 6, 6 through 9. Our new life begins in faith. Then 
Therefore, and you see, he's saying because of what has gone on before, because of the reality of the world, because evil is real and overcoming evil requires God's help in our life, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And so he's wrapping up Romans 1 through 11 with the summary statement that it's about what came before is about God's mercy. He's making an argument that in light of God's mercy, this is why we exist to do what we need to do. It's the answer to the question that everyone at some point has to consider. What's the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? Well, part of the answer is the meaning of my question is answered by understanding God's mercy. And God is best revealed in our life when we ourselves reflect and show the same kind of mercy that we've been. And it's interesting, if you read through Romans chapter 12, most of the items in Romans chapter 12 are concerned with mercy. Jump to the next slide. In Romans 12, 8, if your gift is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere. Romans 12, 13, Share with God's people. Practice hospitality. 14, bless those who persecute. 15, mourn with those who mourn. 16, be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge. I have shown you mercy. I, God, have shown you mercy. Therefore, your purpose in life is to show my mercy to the world. You have been given mercy, therefore reflect that mercy. Show that mercy. This is why I am asking you to do these things and live this way. Christianity is not about the rules. It is not about performing and just doing these things, just like Parenting your child is not about your child obeying you. 
It's about helping them to understand why they need to obey. He needs to practice doing those things so that they will develop their own convictions about doing those things and living this way. God wants us to have deep convictions about showing mercy because we understand the amount of mercy we ourselves have been given. It's the key. Mercy is the key. He, God, treated me, John, better than I deserve. So that's the reason or cause for me to show mercy to God. He erased a lifetime of sinning in my head, of attitude, of sinning against other people, of sinning against him. This is why we help the poor. This is why we must live a moral life. This is why we must love one another. It is the best way to show the world that God's worldview is correct, that God does exist. When we show mercy, people will see that God is true. So mercy is treating someone or suffering or going through a hard time in life or just a person different from you, mercy is treating them better than they deserve. Now, if you go back to the scripture, Romans 12, right there, all right, living sacrifices, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. You see, transformation, which is our theme for the first quarter, and is tied to our vision because we're trying to learn how to reflect God's word, which is the vision of what we want to do in God and how we want to love God, love people, and love God. But that transformation about conforming This is not an exercise in self-improvement. And we already said it's not a set of rules. And I appreciate, this is where I really appreciate Olu and my friendship with Olu. And we were, at, we were at a meeting this week, and Olu talked about he wants to work on being poured out like a drink offering. Which he's quoting another scripture. He's, he's quoting Philippians 2. But same idea, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, that we ourselves, because of the mercy we've been given, are willing to pour out our life. And Olu said, I want to grow in this area of pouring myself out, not for me, but for the needs of others, to help others. That's, that's what God is doing here. It's not about self anymore. It's about um, reflecting. Our, our purpose in life is to reflect God's glory. And obedience to these principles does not make God more in your favor than he was before. God has already shown that he is in our favor. When we were transformed, when we accepted God and you become a Christian, God is 
for you. And he dealt with that in Romans chapter 8. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? So obedience doesn't make God more for you, but it helps us to show the world God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And that's why we need to obey. So you can explain all that to your children. Now, I have some questions, and it has to do in the area of, you know, what keeps those of us who are followers of Christ, if you're a Jesus follower, what keeps us from going out and carrying out Jesus' mission? And how are we supposed to in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile toward the idea of God. And I want us to wrestle for a little while, you know, and at the end of our time together, talk about it with some other people. But think of a 1 to 10 scale. On a 1 to 10 scale, ask yourself the following question. Are you more under the influence of culture in how you live and think and in what you believe? Or would you say you're more under the influence of God? Now, one's going to mean that you're totally under the influence of culture. And a 10 is going to mean that you're totally under the influence of God. So you got the one question. Language. Think about your words the words that you spoke this week. Would you say that your words were God-honoring? You know, that you didn't gossip. You didn't breach trust. You didn't cuss. Or think a four-letter word. <laughs> you weren't talking bad about people. Belittling others. You weren't critical. Your words were God-honoring in every way. Or would you say... You know, come on now. Who does that? That person cut me off in traffic, and they deserve that bad word. Everybody kind of talks trash about people every now and then. That's just the way it is. So would you say overall in the words that you speak that you're more under God or you're more under everybody else than under culture? I was reminded of that today. You know, Tom Brown, Vivian and I get together with Tom Brown, our lead minister at church. Uh, every week, and so he was asking me about some of the words that I had said at a meeting, just the way I framed the words and talked about it, and he had some suggestions for maybe other ways that I could have framed the language to be more encouraging to, to people. Um, it wasn't a four-letter word, but it's just there, you know, there was a, a, an aspect of negativity to the way that I brought up, and so, and so I appreciate him reminding me of that and talking to me about things that impact my character and how I come across and looking out for me in that area. Now, what about the area of entertainment? Would you say what you read, what you watch, what you listen to, you're always influenced by God before you make a decision. 
that you ask yourself, is this song pleasing to God? Is this movie pleasing to God? Is what I'm consuming in social media pleasing to God? Or would you say, I don't give that a whole lot of thought. I just watch whatever's popular. I read and listen to what everybody else is reading and listening to. There are so many good things out there. Who has time to think about whether this is pleasing to God or not? I just kind of consume whatever comes along. And Vinny and I had a chance to realize that this week when we saw, oh, the movie To Shape the Water is a very popular movie. And we go to see it, and I realize there's a lot of scenes in there that, you know, I usually kind of turn my head away. I didn't realize the movie that they're showing. So, I mean, you know, there's just things that they may be very popular in culture, but they may not be what's best for us, for me, to consume. So, and we often come up with the excuse of, but it's so funny. It's so clever. It's so artistic. Well, funny and clever and artistic doesn't necessarily make right wrong. Or wrong right. Sorry. Wrong right. So, just consider what we take in. Money. When you work to earn money, or you're given money, or you get a tax refund, you look at the money and say, this money was given to me by God to steward. It is not mine. It's his, and he wants me to use it to make a difference in the world. I will be very intentional, prayerful, thoughtful, live beneath my means if necessary. Generosity will be one of my core values. Giving sacrificially will define who I am, or would you say, oh man, I just want more. I can have more. I saw this commercial, and there's this thing that I need. And if I only had this thing, it would make me look better, be a better person. It would fix me. Or if I could just have that item that matches my shoes, um, it goes, goes with my look. It makes me look cooler. If I had that thing, I would be happy. If you have a conviction about living within your means and avoiding debt where possible, or are you living beyond your means to buy the things that culture says will make you happy? So when it comes to your money and things, would you say you are being transformed by God and not consumed by God as he directs you, or are you conforming to the culture? Time. Think about your time. The way you spend your time. Would you say that you recognize that life is a mist? That we're here today, gone tomorrow. Would you say, I want to maximize my time for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. Therefore, I seek God first. I spend more time with God than I do on Instagram, Snapchat, or Facebook. I spend more time with God than I do working out. Why? Because my spiritual development is even more important than my physical development. I spend more time with God than I do watching TV. I have to watch what's going on. I seek God first. I let him direct. Or would you say, oh, that sounds great. I would love it. It's ideal and all, but who has time for that? I've got my life, my agenda, my kids to deal with. I'm so busy all the time. I get to church when I can. And I think I read my Bible like two weeks ago or whatever. 
I believe it's important, but who has the power for that? I heard an interesting story last night that involves one of the male Ottenwellers. It was told to me by another male Ottenweller that some young child of his in his teen years wouldn't eat until he had read his Bible. And I thought that was an interesting conviction for a young man to have and an interesting encouragement to him. But I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> so what it, when it comes to your time, would you say you are more under God or would you are say you are more Take on another area, romance. Think about your dating. Would you say that in your dating or your engagement um, or your thinking about dating, that you are treating the other person with unselfish motives and with the purity that God would expect in the way that you would treat a brother or sister? Would you say that as a senior, you submit yourself to God's purposes? You are undistracted. You trust God in prayer and that God will help you out. Would you say that as a married person, you are treating the other person with unselfish motives and that you keep your life free from impurity and godliness and work as a team to submit to God's purpose? Or would you say that you are doing dating and marriage exactly the way the culture does? Use all the same criteria that the culture does. Go just for the looks or the popularity like the culture does. Use all your time for entertainment like the culture does. Seek as much physical pleasure out of the relationship just like the culture does. In your relationships, are you more under God or under culture? Self-worth. What about where you draw your self-worth from? Is your identity rooted into who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter what they think about you, what they say about you, how much you have, what you don't have, the labels you wear. Do you know who you are? Or would you really say you're driven by what other people think? Do you like me? Do you like what I say? Do you like my job? Are we friends? Why did you slow text me back? Are we not okay? Do you like the car that I drive? What I'm wearing? Do I fit in? Are we cool? Are we best buddies? Would you say that your worth comes from who you are by really driven by culture? Relationships. Think about your interest in other interests of others, your interests in the interests of others. Would you say that, I don't know, you invite people over to your house, whether Christians or hospitality, and you sacrifice some of your income to provide food for them? That you visit those who are sick in prison or in great poverty to provide for their needs and serve them. 
that you're mindful of what Jesus said about the poor and the inability of many to fend for themselves, and you're personally doing something about it. Recognizing that people have different backgrounds, economic wealth, political affiliations, ethnicities, and opinions, and that you embrace their culture. Or would you say that your friendships more mimic what Christ is like? I just hang out with people of the same economic class or ethnic similarities. I'm more comfortable with those who think like me and with whom I click. Difficult people irritate me, and I don't have or want to take the time to work through their issues. So overall, would you say that you're a one, two, three, four on your culture, four, seven, eight, of the matter. So I'm going to ask it differently. Can I see a show of hands of how many of you have ever known someone who at one point or another was under the influence of alcohol? Under the influence? Okay. Now I was cool with you. I didn't ask if it was you personally. What happens when someone is under the influence of alcohol. And I'm going to throw that one out. What happens when someone's under the influence of alcohol? Yeah. It changes the way they think. Their behavior changes. They can't stay in their lane. My dad in his old age got to the point where he was using that double yellow line to guide his car. It would one wheel would be on one side and one wheel would be on the other. Yes. What else? No accountability. Yep. Desiring more? Yeah, it does change our perspective. What else? Sorry? Yes, you can be you can be very honest in what you say. Everything is impaired. Does it change who you think is attractive? After 5, there are a lot of attractive people. After 6 or 7, you think you are attractive. <laughs> it changes who you love, doesn't it? I love you, man. <laughs> I just love <laughs> you lower your guard. Uh, and are you more or less liable to do unwise things? Now, do you always realize that you're under the influence of alcohol? After you've had a few, you may not know whether or not or care whether you're under the influence of alcohol. Some of us have become so in by culture, we don't even know we're intoxicated. We don't even realize that we have drifted away from God and what he wants. So are we under the influence of God daily in the dominant parts of our life or under the influence of culture? Now, when I became a follower of Jesus, I didn't know anything about the truth of the Bible. I didn't know anything about a worldview. I didn't know anything about, you know, 
what I was supposed to do in life with the application. But as I started to read God's word, it cut me. It influenced me. It had, it had the logic of it made sense. That appealed to the logical part of my mind. But everything that culture teaches us is usually exactly the opposite of what Jesus teaches. Culture says there is no objective truth. Everything is relative. Jesus says sin is real. Evil is real. That's how reality is structured. I died for you to take sin away. Culture says live for self. Jesus says because of how reality is structured, I didn't live for self. I extended mercy, and people will know that God is real if you do the same. Culture says if you want to be great, brag about yourself. Jesus says if you want to be great, serve other people. Culture says if someone wrongs you, treat them. Jesus said if someone wrongs you, love them, bless them, be an encouragement, show mercy. Culture says live for now. Jesus says live for eternity. Culture says pursue happiness. Jesus says pursue holiness. Pursue that which lasts. Culture says if you want to find yourself, don't get drunk. Get wasted. Have more. Jesus says, if you want to find yourself, lose yourself. Give yourself away. Find yourself in him. Culture says, take your doubts and use them as evidence that there is no God. Jesus says, take your doubts and use them as an opportunity to examine the evidence and decide which worldview fits the data. Don't Conform, be transformed. Now, I will open it up. We'll take a couple of minutes just if anyone has any thoughts or feedback or would like to add something, and then we'll close out in prayer. The comment was a reminder that it is God's money and that we should take the time to think about that. 